We strive for perfection. A perfect game in baseball is the Mount Everest of the diamond, 27 up and 27 down. A perfect 10 in gymnastics elicits oohs and ahs and thunderous applause. The Triple Crown is a few moments of pounding hooves perfection that hasn't happened since 1978. A perfect diamond is the romantic equivalent of all the hopes and dreams of marriage shining in one luminous stone. That's why yesterday I had a problem on my hands while doing a beautiful wedding right here in Virginia Beach. It was to be the perfect Virginia Beach wedding on the perfect Virginia Beach day, and it was the perfect day. The water gleamed with the light of the sun. Perfect clouds sailed effortlessly across a bluer than blue sky. The men were in white jacket tuxes. They looked perfect. The women were wrapped in perfect peach. A perfect dog came down the aisle and acted the part of a perfect pooch until a woman taking a perfect picture stepped on his perfect little foot. He helped so much for perfection. But then it happened. There's a, there's, there's a moment, there are, are these moments as the, as the symphony of the wedding ceremony moves along. And, and there came this moment yesterday where after the, the handsome groom and after the lovely and beautiful bride have faced each other and have exchanged their, their vows as they have promised their, their lives together forever and always, I, I get to say in, in a perfect pastoral voice, may I have the rings, please. And I, I love to say, may I have the rings, please. And I turned and I received a ring from the maid of honor. Then I turned to the best man to receive a ring. And he looked very sheepish and very lost. And he was like, was I supposed to have a ring? <laughs> it's a wedding. Hello. There was no ring for the bride. The perfect wedding was, was about to, to just disintegrate. The, the bride's face was, was just falling. Her countenance was, was falling. And the last thing you want is for a bride's countenance to fall. And, and so he said, what should I do? I said, well, I think you should go over to your wife and ask her for her ring for the moment. That would be a good thing. So he went over and he pled with his wife and she thought about it. And then she gave her incredibly wonderful and beautiful ring to be given to the bride. I immediately said, please call security. Uh, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful ring. And so the bride was, her eyes, the countenance came back and the, the eyes were big. I mean, this was a, a rather large diamond and, and everything seemed, seemed wonderful and glorious and perfect again. But for that moment, perfection had been lost. You see, we, we strive for perfection. We strive for it here all the time. But the truth is, we only get perfection there. And what's most important is to know you're going there. Billy Graham put it this way. Heaven is far more glorious than anything we can imagine. Heaven is like the most perfect and beautiful place we can conceive only more so. The most perfect place we can 
think about, and it's even more perfect than that. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he's asking this early church, what world do you live in? And he wants to remind them, and he wants to tell them that their striving for perfection will never be complete here. It'll never be fulfilled here. It's fulfilled in another place. First Thessalonians chapter 4. What world are you living in? Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Lots of people living their lives, grasping and striving for things, but no hope because they don't have the right goal in life. They don't understand what life is all about, what, what the meaning of life truly is. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And to the, the phrase fallen asleep means those who have already died. He's saying because of this belief we have, because we have hope, because of the resurrection, we even know that anyone in our families that has died, that have died, that have believed in him and put their lives in his hands, they will be brought back. They will go to be with him someday. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And now... He shares a great mystery. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, there's so much about that that I don't understand. And there's so much about that that cannot be understood. It defies everything that we know about life. It defies gravity. It defies all the laws of physics. It, it's, a, it's a theological mystery. It's something that, that Paul knew and accepted because he knew and accepted Jesus Christ. So I can't begin to explain it because I can't even understand it myself. If you remember the words of Jesus one day to a group of adults who were trying to figure out heaven, were, unless you become like a little child, you're not going to make it. You, you won't get there. There's this sense of childlike faith that's so much a part of our lives, that needs to be a part of our lives. We live in a world that wants answers. We live in a world that, that wants explanation. This bypasses answers. This bypasses explanation. Because we have to have a very childlike faith. What do, what do children do? Children trust us that we will take care of them. Children trust us that we know the right things to do and that we will always keep them in safety. I violated that principle on Monday. I was with my granddaughter, Sophia, who's six, and we were at Bush Gardens. Now, I think there should be a law against grandpas who are 62 years of age going to Bush Gardens and having to climb the hills and, and go up and down the stairs and travel all over from, from England to Germany and, and everywhere else 
Uh, I was there for three hours. I thought I was there for three months. Uh, but I, I gave it my best shot, and, and I kept going. Uh, and Gail said, I think you need one of those motorized scooters. And I said, no, I don't need one of those motorized scooters. And so we, we kept going, and then I said, yes, I need one of those motorized scooters. Um, but we went, Sophia wanted to go on Da Vinci's cradle, and that, that goes up in the air, and then it drops, and it goes up in the air and drops. It's sort of a, a, a medium scary ride, not the big roller coaster rides, not the little baby rides, but now we're into the, the medium scary rides. So I said, I'll, I'll go on Da Vinci's cradle with you. And so we, we got on it. I knew we were in trouble when the attendant said, pull the bar down as far as you can. And so I pulled the bar down and stopped right here at my bar stopper. <laughs> I looked at Sophia. She was in trouble. Because <laughs> she was going to like fly out of this thing. The first drop, whoop, there she goes. And so I violated the, the principle of I'm supposed to take care of her. So the whole time I'm like holding on to her leg, holding on. She's like flying out of the thing, flying out of the thing. You know, I'm hoping Gail's not watching and, and that I'd be in big trouble if I lost her on Da Vinci's cradle. But children expect that we are going to protect them and love them and get them where they're supposed to go. Get them in a car seat. Get them home. Take care of lunch. Get the ice cream. You know, attend to their voices as they express their needs and their wishes. And God says, that's how I want you to be. Jesus says, that's the way that you are going to get there. And so as Paul writes this, he's not writing it from a, a scientific point of view. He's not writing it from a theological point of view. He's really writing it from a child's heart point of view. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And now we move into the fifth chapter. But remember, when Paul first wrote this, this was one continuous letter. We didn't have chapters. We didn't have verses. He just kept on writing. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And you can hear him thinking. You can hear him thinking. They're going, they're going to want to know when it's going to happen so they can be ready to go. Nobody wants to be in the shower when this happens. And so he's thinking, I got I to get this clear in their minds. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Now, here the word asleep doesn't mean they're dead. It means they are spiritually dead. They are living life, but they're not really thinking about life and the true meaning of life. Let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake, whether we're living or asleep, whether we're, we're gone, we may live together with him. Just a few days ago, my Aunt Livia 
who I showed you a video about, about maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, went home to be with the Lord. And I didn't have a chance to get back to New Jersey to attend the funeral that was on Friday. But I thought about it, and I thought about my love for her, and I thought, she is home in heaven, and that is so good. And I was able to write a eulogy and send it to my sister, and it was read at the funeral. But I just felt so good to know that after 91 years, she was home. Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, this is almost like a repetition. He said, therefore, encourage each other with these words. He says it again. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Now, when you read this kind of information from the Bible, it sounds ancient. It sounds biblical. It might sound a little cryptic. So let me kind of peel back the layers and and just make it relevant to each of us today. Paul's saying, you know and I know that there are people who all they do is think about themselves, take care of themselves, make sure they're, they're having the, the cushiest and coziest life that they can have. And the entire focus of their life is on themselves or on their family and on the future, I got my, my future all set, my 401k is good, my portfolio, my portfolio looks good, I've got the, the college uh, tuition for four years socked away, everything is good, and, and all they do is think like that, they think that's life. And we have that today just like they had it 2,000 years ago. He says, but you, you have to be different, you have to be alert, you have to understand that this is so much bigger than just the life that you have here. There is an eternity at stake. There's a place called heaven. Jesus died and he rose again. And this portends for great things for us. And we have to live now in a way that recognizes that we are his people and we are his church. And we have meaning and hope because of that. So we don't have to just focus on ourselves and be afraid of the future and try to get everything in the right place and everything nailed down. There's something bigger. What world are you living in. And so he, he lays this out in this letter. And back then, people were thinking about that. People were, were getting a little bit of a bigger picture. And they were beginning to understand that Christ changed everything. And today, 2,000 years later, people are still thinking about this, even though it's not talked about a lot. Every once in a while, there's this little glimmer of, you know, we're still thinking about this. That's why ABC a couple of years back did a two-hour special on heaven that you saw a clip from today. That's why on April 16th, the cover of Time was Rethinking Heaven. What is it? Where is it? How do you get there? Does anybody still believe in it anymore? And it's a, it's a great article. It's expansive in its view of the thought process that people engage with when they consider heaven as a concept to debate in, in our culture today. So I'd easily recommend for you to read it. I can't, I can't affirm everything that's in the article, but it certainly is an interesting thing to read and to think about. And then there's a cover that just came out on June the 11th, How to Die. You see, we're still thinking, like, we know this is inevitable, so how do you do that? 
how do you die? And how do you die well? And how do you help people to engage that final stage of life? So we're still thinking about this today. Even the Prometheus movie is about the concepts of life and death and immortality and why you, you get more questions than answers when you see that, that movie, which is R-rated, so I'm not saying you should go, okay? Uh, it's a sci-fi, strange, kind of a quirky movie. But where'd we come from? Who was our maker? Where do we go when we die? These are very relevant concepts to the society in which we live. In the Time Out article from April 16th, John Meacham wrote, a running debate about the hereafter is raising new questions about the definition of heaven and what it says about the meaning of life. This conversation takes a subject that has occupied humanity for millennia and places it squarely amid topics of faith that are deeply relevant today. Even in the wake of the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution, many of us believe in heaven, 85% of all Americans, according to Gallup. Most of us are apparently confident, or at least say we are, that life does not end at the grave. The Bible has always taught that life does not end at the grave. The Bible has also always taught that heaven and getting there is serious business. Matthew 6, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. I'm sending up 
my timber. I'm sending up my timber. That's why I gave your food away to a man who needed it more than you, grandson. There's, there's lots we can't know about heaven, but there are things that we can know. Let me tell you what I know. Heaven is a reality that tests your heart. Heaven is a reality that tests what's really in your heart. It, it, it looks at those deep recesses of your heart to illuminate which world are you living in. Are you working hard, which is a good thing? Are you striving for goals in your life, which is a good thing? But do you recognize that that's not the totality of your life, that there's more? Heaven is a focus that drives your heart. Do you think about heaven? Do you think about sending up timber? Do you, you think about the things that, that God's called you to do and to be? Heaven is a reality that tests your heart. Heaven is a focus that drives your heart. And heaven is an investment that reveals your heart. What are the days and the hours and the seasons of your life all about, really? What are you trying to, to build and create that has to do with the kingdom of God? But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well, Jesus said. He was teaching, what world are you living in? Yes, I know you need food. Yes, I know you need clothes. That's why I created Old Navy. But you need so much more than that. Heaven is an investment that reveals your heart. You see, Paul is talking about a time in Thessalonians that is the end of time as we know it. That's what he's talking about. And a lot of people are wondering, is this the year? Is this it? 2012? A movie came out, 2012, that's it. We're, we're going down. We better get on those big giant ships and, and be saved. Is 2012 the year it's going down? It's not. And I will tell you why it's not. But first, I want to say, if you bought a new car because you thought you weren't going to have to pay for it, that was a sin. <laughs> You're going to have to pay for it for three years or five years or for whatever you signed up for. Paul's talking about a time that is the end of time as we know it. But it's not 2012. Number one, there needs to be one world government with one leader of the whole world before the end comes. We can't even figure out what leader we want right now for this one country. You know, imagine like a whole world and we're all going to vote. Oh boy, won't that be fun. Um, you know, remember Florida from a few years back? It's going to be like 10 times, 100 times worse than that. Um, so there's, we're not even close to one world government with the president of the world. There needs to be a clear representation of the Antichrist. Uh, lots of different theories about the Antichrist, lots of possibilities about that. The Bible speaks to this concept of the Antichrist, but as of right now, there's nothing clear. Uh, we don't know if there is one uh, that's been born as the Antichrist right now in the world. All these things are just big, giant guesses, but we're not close to the one world government. The one leader 
is going to be the Antichrist, so we're still far away. And then Christ will return when the end comes. And, and we'll know it's the end because he's going to show up personally and visibly. Personally and visibly. So it's just not, it's not close at all. Now usually when I say things like that, the opposite happens. So tomorrow, if on CNN they go, and guess what? The Antichrist was found, and he's in the Middle East, and it's always think we saw Jesus coming. Blame it on me, okay? Because I said it wasn't going to happen. Um, but, you know, next week we'll have Wolf Blitzer here to interview me on other theological topics. So we're not close, okay? But there's things that we can know and understand, because even though we can't figure it out theologically, let's say, we can, we can understand it in a different way. So I drew a couple pictures to help us to, to get a little better understanding. This is my amazing artwork, figure one. Okay. In the end, there's a period, all theologians basically are going to agree on, on a similar design like this. There's a seven-year period that's divided into two, three-and-a-half-year periods. And this goes into prophecy in the book of Daniel and a lot of things that I don't usually teach about because it's really hard to understand. And even if you, you get it all nailed down, it's probably not going to happen that way anyway. But you can see you are there. Okay, so you're not in the seven-year period, and you're only close because I ran out of paper, so I had to put you there. Okay, so we're like before the seven years, and, and that's what they call the tribulation. It's divided. Now, here's, here's the real deal. Figure two. What happens here is the first three and a half years is where there's world peace and this Antichrist becomes this magnificent, wonderful figure who brings peace to the, to the earth. And, and every day you get uh, uh, steak and lobster dinner at your house as part of a, a new government program. And, and you're happy all the time and your team always wins. And, and just like, and there are no gas prices came down to, uh, 50 cents a gallon, and you don't pay taxes anymore. This is going to be, like, amazing. So you're going to go, I really like this guy. This is, like, the best deal I ever saw since I was born. And then the second half of that seven years is going to be world chaos. And things are going to be coming unglued like crazy. You are not going to be a happy camper. You're going to be sad. You're going to be screaming. You're going to be frustrated. But if you're a Christian, you're out of here. Okay, see the rapture? That's what Paul is talking about. You can't figure that out, but he says you are going to be out of here. Now, some people, theologians, are going, well, the, the, you're going to have a pre-trib rapture, so you miss the whole thing. Some people say you're going to have a mid-trib rapture, which that's the picture there, which in the middle you're going to go out before it gets crazy. And some theologians say you're going to go through the whole deal to the end, and then you're going to be raptured when Christ comes back. And that's when there's Armageddon, and Bruce Willis shows up. He handles it all. So that's basically my theology. I'm writing a whole book on that picture. Uh, and uh, you're not going to get much more than that because you can't really understand it. And even if you understand it, poof, it's gone. Even if you understand it, there's nothing you can do about it except for one thing. Let's look at some brief scripture points about heaven according to Jesus. Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 10. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in 
heaven. Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? Because a lot of people are going to go, I, I only thought of myself. I only thought of my life. I, I heard about this possibility of another life and eternity, and some people told me about it, and I ignored it, and I walked away from it, and I ended up with nothing in the end. I even lost my life. Here's the question Jesus asks at the end of these stories about heaven. To his disciples, he goes, have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. In other words, Jesus is saying in plain language, do you guys get this? Are you paying attention? Do you understand this, this question about what world are you living in is the big question that the meaning of life is not just what happens here, but the meaning of life is attached to the, to the whole process of life and what you're doing for me and how we're doing something together in the world because we're ultimately going there. Do you guys get this? Yes, they replied. 85% of all Americans, according to Gallup, believe in heaven. Most of us are apparently confident, or at least say we are, that life does not end at the grave. So what do you believe? What world are you living in. Everybody wants heaven. The scripture that we just read says, not everyone gets there. Let me leave you with four thoughts. First, very important, extremely important. Do you know you're a Christian inside of your heart as deep as you can go? Do you know you gave your life to Christ? You confessed your sin to Christ? You, you accepted that he died for you on the cross? That he took the penalty for your sin and so through him you are forgiven and free. You gave your life to him. You asked him to come into your heart. Do you know you're a Christian? It's not a question to be trifled with. It's not a question to put on the back burner. Maybe you did it last year. Maybe you did it 20 years ago. 41 years ago like I did. Maybe you need to do that today. Two, are you living to know more about him? The whole tone of Paul's letters to the early church has to do with Christ. And, and there's, there are places where he's encouraging them and he's telling them that he is living his whole life just to know him and to know him more. And that's part of that driving force of motivation that, that needs to be in your heart. Heaven reveals What's in your heart? Are you living to know more about him? Where does that happen? Three, are you investing your life in the church he established? Jesus Christ left behind one entity, one somewhat organized group of people. He kind of left a lot of the organization up to us. But he said, 
I will build my church. And it wasn't a, a religious institution. It wasn't something where everybody just got together to sing. It was a movement that changed the world. It was, a, it was going out and engaging the world for the sake of change, for what God wanted in the world, for what God needed to see happen in the world. Good men and good women going forth in that power of Jesus Christ to change the whole world. Are you investing your life in that? And finally, are you making a difference in the world he died for through ministry and mission, which is, are you connecting? What are the connecting points? You have to say, this is where my life connects to ministry. This is where my life connects to mission. Ministry, fill in the blank. Mission, fill in the blank. I'm getting ready to go to Nicaragua this, this summer. Mission. I'm on the, the, the Togo team. A woman showed up in my office on Wednesday. She was telling me about what she thought she wanted to do in her life, and she told me what her skills were. I said, something's going on in my head right now. I think you really need to be on the Togo team. By Friday, she was signed up to go to Africa four weeks, five weeks from now. The lesson of that is do not come see me in my office. Do not, okay? You'll be going somewhere, really. If you want to go somewhere, then come see me. Are you making a difference in the world he died for through ministry and mission? Do you know you're a Christian? Are you living to know more about him? These are the most important questions about what world are you living in? Everybody wants heaven. Not everyone gets there. So we were going to Lynchburg last Last uh, Friday, I had to do a, a church wedding uh, at Thomas Road Baptist Church in the chapel, famous church in Lynchburg. Uh, had to get there for the rehearsal for the wedding. And so I, I had my GPS out on my phone. I had a, a physical map. I had directions, MapQuest directions. And I'm going to go to Richmond, and I'm going to take Route 60 all the way right into Lynchburg. Piece of cake, no problem. So I get to, to Richmond. I get onto Route 60. And I'm driving. An hour later, I'm still in Richmond. Now, I'm not sure it was an hour, but my wife timed me, and she said it was an hour. God sent me a wife to always tell me when I was lost. And I was lost. And uh, so we're still in Richmond. We're driving. All of a sudden, Gail goes, that's VCU. It's like 45 minutes later. That's VCU. I, I sort of blocked it out of my mind. I, I, I kind of felt like I was halfway to Lynchburg. I tried to have positive thoughts. You know, but no matter what I did, I had a GPS. I had a map. I had written directions. I was lost. Don't live your life lost with all the directions right in front of you. Don't live your life lost and miss the greatest opportunity of your life Jesus came because he loved you. Jesus came to give you more than life. He said he came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. There is so much more. There's another world. Everybody wants heaven. Not everybody gets there. I really want you to get there. Maybe there's a decision that you have to make about that today. Maybe you need to, to come and see me today and talk about that. We have baptisms on August the 5th down at the ocean front. Maybe you need to sign up for that today. It's a real simple one email. There it is. Boom. Just email it to us and sign up and be there. Come get a towel in a couple weeks when we put the towels out. Say, I'm making a definitive statement that my life 
is not just about my comfort and, and my cushy coziness. It's about the kingdom of God and what I can do in his kingdom and for his kingdom, what he can do in me and through me when I give my life to him. Paul wrote, but since we belong to the day, since we belong to the day, that future day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for Paul and his way of putting truth uh, in such a clear, relevant form. Father, he wrote from his heart to the early church, and he writes from his heart today to us. So help us to know what world we're living in. Help us to make sure that we are going to heaven through your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us. Father, I give you these men and these women today. May you guide them and bless them. May you create kingdom mission and purpose and ministry through their hearts. May they, they define their lives by the power of a treasure that they put up in heaven. May they send up much timber, Heavenly Father. Guide them and bless them now and always. For we ask this in Jesus' name.